The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I am Ryan Corella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week, and it is also a pleasure to be rejoined by my co-host, David. Welcome back, David. Thank you very much. Yes, it is good to be back. I am back, folks. Your nightmare is over. I'm back. It's not just Ryan anymore. (laughs) The team is back together. We are. I'm so excited. (laughs) How was Los Angeles and Canada? Oh, man. It was so good. So good. By the way, you can always tell when something's really good when someone goes really deep in their voice. Yeah, you know, it's like oh, it's great. Really good. And they're like, eh, it's all right. Yeah. And, and, oh, it was. So wait, I, I, I kind of want to test this now. Yeah. So all right, all right. So okay. Dave, uh, how was uh, how was the latest James Bond movie? Oh, dude, it was really good. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, how was Frozen? <laughs> actually, to be fair, Frozen's not that bad of a movie. Frozen's so. pretty, yeah, Frozen is pretty good. The little girl, actually, the little girl next to me on the plane, <laughs> on the plane ride over, um, I connected from Philadelphia over to Los Angeles. The plane ride over, there's this like little girl next to me on the plane. She's watching Frozen on her little iPad with her headphones on. I swear to God, she's watching it, and in the most sincere and like cute way possible, she goes, "I wish I had ice powers." <laughs> I was like, oh, you got to be. That's just. (laughs) It's so good to have you here, buddy. Um, We're going to do the game show a little bit later. Uh I'm excited about that. Uh, I I have my, uh, you know, your game show before and after withdrawal, um, having not done it in the previous week. We have a guest this week. We're going to be joined by Natalie Gelman. Okay. Oh, great. Yeah, I heard she's great. She is awesome, and she's a University of Miami grad. Hey, Um, how about that? Go Canes. Yeah, we're both Hurricanes, so we're both going to, I think, connect with that uh, pretty well if you want to reach the podcast you can follow us on twitter i'm at ryan k-a-i-r that's at ryan k-a-i-r you can also email the show at break at gmail.com and a humble favor that we ask of you uh while you're listening to us if you can rate us review us on itunes and most importantly throw us a subscription uh those things are very helpful in kind of moving you up the itunes ladder and you know getting us somewhere in like the top one million podcasts as, as we're trying very slowly to do. Um, and that would be very, very good for us. But that being said, we have been thrilled with how much how much listenership we've been getting from week to week, Dave. It's been great. I've been loving the community that we've sort of created. And speaking of podcast community, that's why I was out there in Los Angeles actually going to the LA Pod Festival, the podcasting festival. And you meet a lot of uh, like-minded people, a lot of people with shows. You can see a lot of great shows too. So that's the listeners out there. That's why we do. We need you to to help us out with all these things. When we say rate, review us, and let us know the feedback. Remember, we're all in this together. We're all uh, podcasters. We're all listening to podcasts. You know, this is our stuff. Absolutely. You know. Um, and I would really love to maybe next year, Dave. We should go to that festival. Absolutely. People had their sh- took their shows basically and recorded them. They actually tried to. You know, I, I met this one gentleman, very nice. He actually was able to record Greg Proops and Mark Marin for his show. Really? Yeah. So, you so know. if you set up shop there, other podcasting personalities will can stop by your booth and yes, and in, in the Squarespace Podcasting Lab, the Squarespace Podcasting Lab. Are you hoping if you say the name enough, we're going to start getting some checks from them? Or I don't know what you're squarespacing, Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> audible.com and bonobos <laughs> i'm not gonna be able to focus good before we bring in natalie um i want to talk a little bit about a entertainment law story that bubbled up in the news this past week right that i think is very important for independent artists to hear mm-hmm. even though it does not involve an independent artist i think there's a lot to be gained from listening to this story this past week, there was a preliminary injunction filed in a litigation between recording artist Kesha mm-hmm. and her producer slash label owner, Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke is a very prominent producer. He produces a lot of top shelf artists. And Kesha, of course, is a very popular recording artist, although many of us have noted that she hasn't made a lot of stuff recently. Um, she hasn't really recorded that much in the last few months. 
And part of it is because of this litigation. So let me start from the beginning right. and tell a little bit about the litigation that happened because it goes all the way back to 2014. So in 2014, Kesha filed a lawsuit against her producer, Dr. Luke. Um, and it, and you know, she really went to the mat on this lawsuit. She actually retained Mark Garagos uh, to represent her. So she's, She's ready. Yeah, she's the Mark Garagos. The Mark Garagos. So she's not messing around. For our listeners, Ryan, Mark Garagos. Mark Garagos, uh, top shelf attorney, has represented uh, Winona Ryder, Michael Jackson, Gary Condit. Basically, if any celebrity has a legal issue, they go to Mark. Right. He's the guy. Like basically, basically, it's either Mark Garagos or Gloria Allred. You go to one of the two of them. Now that we, now that unfortunately Johnny Cochran is no longer with us, I was just going to say new Johnny Cochran. Um, and I might be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure all three of them went to the same law school. I think they all went to Loyola University in California. So that or Loyola Law is sort of like the birthplace of these celebrity attorneys. Huh. Damn, we should have gone to Loyola. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, so in 2014, she uh, Garagos files this complaint. Um, and for those of you who don't know, in litigation, a complaint is basically how you start a litigation. It's a long, very long document that articulates all of the legal claims that you have against somebody in a case. And so Kesha filed this complaint against Dr. Luke. And the way Garagos writes this complaint, Dave, you've seen a lot of legal complaints in your life. Yes, I have. Um, you know, being a litigator. This complaint reads like less like a legal complaint and more like a, God, like a tawdry romance novel. He writes it in a way that he's not just trying to sway the judge, Garagos. He's trying to sway public opinion. So the complaint is written in long paragraphs, detailing all of the alleged uh, things that Dr. Luke did in painstaking, you know, flowery, flowing detail. And the allegations are quite substantial. Among the things that she alleges is that Dr. Luke, throughout their time together, so Dr. Luke had, had her signed to a production and a record deal, and Kesha alleges that Dr. Luke had been verbally abusing her, sexually abusing her, you know, basically controlling her life, controlling her career, saying that if she ever stepped out of line, he would ruin her life, take away her record royalties or publishing royalties. Uh, very strong accusations. Mm -hmm. And among the things that Mark Yergos was requesting in this complaint um, was that the judge basically grant all of their contracts together terminated. Um, in response to this deal, Dr. Luke countersued and alleging that everything that she said was a lie and that basically this whole lawsuit is just a way for her to get out of this deal. Right. So fast forward. So that's that's the initial ground that's being set. Fast forward to today, about a year later. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, legal motions and back and forth and whatever. We fast forward to today. This past week, uh, Kesha files a motion for a preliminary injunction asking the judge to terminate the record contract now. And what a preliminary injunction is, is it's not the person asking for the case to be over because there's still lots of litigation that has to happen, but it's asking the judge to say, hey, while this case is still pending, we want you to terminate the contract in the meantime so that I can go and continue my music career until this lawsuit gets settled. Um, what makes this interesting, and I should say that this whole story was brought by, um, was written by Eric Gardner of the Hollywood reporter. Eric Gardner is amazing. Uh, this guy gets all the best stories. One day I want to bring him on the, on the podcast and just sort of ask Eric, how do you keep getting all the best stories? Cause he's, he's the guy for entertainment law stories. Anyway, what makes a preliminary injunction interesting is that one of the things that the judge has to answer in the preliminary injunction is whether they feel that the lawsuit is likely to succeed on the merits. So it's basically going to be that the first time that a judge weighs in and says whether they think that Kesha is going to win this thing or has a chance at winning this thing or not. Right. So it's going to be our first words on that, and that's going to be pretty powerful. Um, and among the things that the judge will also have to answer is whether or not he thinks that if he does not grant this injunction now, that it would end Kesha's career. So that's what we have facing this week. And I want to say from the outset, as I discuss this case in no way do I intend to weigh in on who I think is going to win or who I think is right or who I think is wrong. I don't know what happened there. No, yeah, that's something for a matter of fact for the courts to decide. That is not what we here are going to be talking about. That's exactly right. I, you know, that is for, that's a judge and a jury. The dimension I want to talk about, because again, none of us know what happened, but the dimension of it that I want to talk about is 
basically how this happened in the first place. And what I would submit to you out there is that these kind of record contracts or record contracts in general, or especially in the sense of what happened with Dr. Luke and Kesha, is symptomatic of everything that is wrong with the recorded music industry. Because whether or not Dr. Luke is right here or Kesha is right here, what we can say with some level of certainty is that clearly something about this relationship between the two of them was poisonous. There were problems. Whether they were the problems that Kesha was articulating or something else, this was not a good relationship. We can all agree on that. Yeah, I think even Dr. Luke is probably agreeing on that. Yeah. And so the problem with the music industry and with record contracts specifically is that record contracts are so draconian that they do not give the people involved in the agreement an easy way to get out of the agreement if things start to go south. Most record contracts have what's called an exclusivity clause, which tells says to the artist, you can record for me and only me, and if you, rec- you can't record for anybody else, and if you try to, I'm going to sue you. Right. And so it basically forces two people into a marriage, but not really giving away for divorce. Right. And it's weird because, you know, in service contracts in general, you know, there's no such thing as specific performance anyway to force someone to perform a a service. And also, generally speaking, think about it. If you have someone contracted for services and like the issue falls apart and your gardener decides to walk away, you never hear about a homeowner saying, well, wait a minute. You're not allowed to garden for my next door neighbor. You can't garden for anybody else. That's exactly right. In most contracts, when people work in an independent contractor relationship, most of those contracts do not prevent the person providing the service from providing that service to other people. Right. You know, if I'm hiring a gardener, as you said, that gardener can garden 10 other houses um, in most contracts. But that's not the way record contracts work. They are, in most of them, it's you can record for me and only me. Which means that if stuff starts to go wrong, if the relationship gets poisonous, the artist has two choices. One, stay in the poisonous relationship, or two, be finished in the music business and never record anything again. And those are really the only two choices. And by the way, the second choice can lead to lawsuits and you know all kinds of other stuff. But even if you don't get sued, you're just never recording again. You are done in your career in the music business. And those kind of relationships can lead to a poisonous relationship like the one that seems to exist right now between Dr. Luke and Kesha. And what one has to realize is that in almost any other kind of business relationship that exists between two people or two entities, the law provides easier ways for the relationship to end. For example, if this was if Dr. Luke and Kesha had an employer-employee relationship where Kesha worked for Dr. Luke and things started to go wrong, Kesha can quit. Dr. Luke can fire her. Relationship over. Right. If Dr. Luke and Kesha are business partners and they have a partnership and things start to go wrong and it gets messy, one of them can dissolve the partnership and basically say, okay, we split it 50-50. Hell, if Dr. Luke and Kesha are husband and wife, they can divorce and, you know, split the proceeds. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the record contract does not provide for that. Basically, you're forcing two people to keep slogging as it gets worse and worse and ultimately ends up with what we can all agree is a pretty tragic lawsuit right now. And so the lesson that I hope artists get from this very, very sad story, and by the way, and it is a sad story, even if it works out, I mean, even if one of the parties is right, or obviously one of the parties is right, by definition, but even if the party that is right gets justice in this case, it's still a sad story. Like Dr. Luke's career is never going to be the same. Kesha's career is never going to be the same. And if you're a fan of either of those people's creations and they wind up being the right party here, they're never going to come out of this as well as they were, as they could have. And I think, you know, we all kind of lose out for that. And so artists, what I, what I can implore to you is be careful, you know, really think about whether these record contracts are right for you, particularly when they have a provision that says you can record for me and only me. And if you record for somebody else, you can't. And you have to choose between recording for me or being finished in the music business. And basically, you don't want anybody controlling you. Artists should have the freedom to work for whoever they want to work for, create with whoever they want to create with, and be their own boss. And record contracts, for the most part, don't provide for that. And so 
please be very careful out there is what I would suggest to the artists out there. All right, we'll be back. Natalie Gelman is next on the Break the Business podcast. Are you an independent artist looking to promote a recent release or crowdfunding campaign? If so, the Break the Business podcast would love to help you out by giving you a shout out on the air. Email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com and tell us about yourself and your project. It won't cost you anything. We're just looking for a way to give back to the artistic community that's given us so much. Again, that's breakthebusiness at gmail.com for a free shout out. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the podcast. She is a California-based singer-songwriter who has been featured in the Huffington Post, the New York Times, New York Post, and Billboard magazine. She has performed in Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, and the House of Blues and just wrapped up a multi-country European tour this past summer. She also recently released a live album entitled Live in London and is currently working on a new studio album powered by a Kickstarter campaign where she raised over $16,000 from her fans. Ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled to have Natalie Gelman on the Break the Business podcast. How's it going, Natalie? Hey, Ryan. It's going good. Thanks for having me. Oh, I am thrilled to have you on the show. I am a big fan of the stuff you've been doing in your career. And I feel like I've caught you at the right time, Natalie, because... Um, Everything's been coming up, Natalie, lately. You just had this amazing European tour. Uh, you got this great Kickstarter coming out. You're doing some cool stuff. I, I have I have caught you at the right time. I'm so excited for it. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's a, it's an exciting and a busy <laughs> adventure. Well, yeah, busy is good, right? Absolutely. Um, but- I thrive when it's when I'm busy. That's good. I think that's the right kind of attitude for indie artists to have. But I want to tell you the thing about you that I like the most. Even though I love the stuff you're doing in your music career, I love your music. Um, the albums you're making are, are delight. But the thing I love about you the most is your choice of colleges. You are a graduate of uh-huh. the University of Miami, my alma mater. That's true. Yeah, it's a good... Uh, good school and a great music program and definitely hard to avoid the sunshine and stay in the practice room but (laughs) (laughs) yes uh yeah yeah i'll say this though um we actually graduated two years apart at the university of miami and i'm sad to say i never at least you know at least without knowing it i've never actually come across you at campus and i think i have a theory as to why Well, I have two theories. One is that I was probably wildly antisocial as an undergraduate, which is true. But I think the the better theory, the one that's far less disparaging towards me, is the fact that you music students worked so hard at the University of Miami. You guys were always in the rehearsal rooms while we were all partying out at bars and restaurants. Yeah, I think for me, too, there's a there's a thing that you go through where for the first couple of years, you're not doing that much performing. You know, it's more about developing your talents still. And I had come into UM, I came out of a um, almost conservatory-like high school. So I'd come out to college with so much experience already performing at Carnegie Hall. And um, I hadn't really done my own music yet, but on the theater and the opera side of things, um, I was ready to go. Um, but I, as far as my own music, like there's a, a bunch of venues that are kind of um, the folk and rock sort of stomping grounds for artists in Miami. And I didn't start playing those until I developed a band probably after you graduated. My junior, senior year was when I really started. And I know that mm-hmm. you've done a lot of busking in your life. Uh, you know, you started off your career uh, busking and that's really, I guess, probably how you, you know, worked out songs and things like that. For the artists listening out there who live near, you know, train stations or subways or anything like that, would you recommend to them busking as a way to kind of, you know, refine their chops? You know, up until about a year ago, I would have said absolutely. Really? Um, okay. And I still think, I still think to a certain extent, absolutely. But um, I've had a hard time. Um, it's something that I still do when I'm back in New York. And what's interesting about it is with our attention spans being what they are, it's much harder to get people to open up and listen to music and connect with you. And really, that's what you're doing. Like, I built my fan base 
originally playing in the subway. Um, and it paid forward. Like, there's still people that I meet that tell me they've seen me 8, 10, 12, whatever years ago. Um, you know, some people in France on this past tour, um, from France to North Dakota. Like, <laughs> there's people cool. that I come across that met me in New York City. Um, yeah, and so it's really cool. And I, it definitely was a way for me to, again, to keep putting in those 10,000 hours, to keep practicing and sort of developing my style. Um, I know I wasn't ever, oh, that's actually not true. I was so nervous to get on stage. I remember when I was little, I, I totally cracked out at a Steinway music hall performance <laughs> for piano. And I like ran out of the concert hall into an underneath grand pianos. Oh my <laughs> like, goodness. It was terrible, but I wasn't ever really nervous to sing. And I think that, you know, it still took, it still takes guts to start singing to people that are not there to hear you. And I still think it's really special because you're bringing music to people that might not even have music in their life and entertainment in their life. And it's, there's something really honorable about that. Um, but lately I find that as an artist, um, it's been very hard because people will tune out so much and, and we're so good. We have so many distractions and I think that there's so many tools for an artist on the internet now that playing and street performing might be one of the things you do, but like, that was really all I did. Like that was my job when, mm -hmm. especially once I, in between semesters and once I got out of college and I was kind of working, you know, doing other things, but like that's every night I would go out, play from either six to nine or started playing like nine to midnight. Like, but that was my job. Um, and so I don't know, it's sort of become, I haven't had good experiences for the past year and a half that have sort of justified the the work of it all. I mean, both monetarily, like it's sort of gone down monetarily and it's been very inconsistent as far as um, even within the same day, you know, I, I usually play places where you get kind of a, and this is my recommendation actually, let's just, let's, I, mean, I said my piece about, you know, know what you're getting into. <laughs> sure. But, um, it's good to play somewhere where you have a captive audience. And so, you know, like you're saying, if there's a subway near you and you can play on a platform while people are waiting, you have a better chance of them actually hearing you if they're there for a few minutes. Um, but I haven't had consistency. Like once those people are gone, like even, you know, five minutes later, people will just be tuning me out for the next, hour so it's really you know even after people have just connected and yeah and we're also such a i did learn this a lot when i was street performing is we're such a um a tribe people like we're we like to follow others and so it would be there would be times where i wouldn't sell cds and nobody would tip me for 20 minutes and then one person would buy a cd and five more would and Nothing changed except that there was one person brave enough to admit that they liked it and walk over. <laughs> yeah. It. You um, need that one person to kind of prime the pump. Yeah. And it, it, it was just so interesting. Um, and so I don't think, I just want anyone who does it to know that, like, I just had someone tell me this past weekend that they were street performing in their local park and they only made $2 in like an hour and a half. And, I think that your time is better spent. I mean, if you're doing it for purposes of practicing and you're saying, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to learn a certain, you know, practice some new songs and I'm going to engage people because that's a big part of why I'm so I'm very chatty on stage and I will honor whatever so in the moment and like have fun with all of our awkward, you know, stuff and bring it up to the surface. And it's almost like a comedy show, people tell me. But um, <laughs> I think that that stems from just being so comfortable and being able to handle anything because in the subway, you just never know what's going to happen. Um, 
I still, I keep saying this. I really would like to write a book of like all of my crazy experiences. And it, it can be a part of what someone does, but just, I'm sorry, I'm babbling a little bit. <laughs> there's so many tools now with um, all social media, but like specifically for artists, YouTube, now Periscope. Um, there's so many things you can use as far as hosting online concerts and developing your audience. And even all these platforms like Concert Window and Stage It, they have their own fan base. Like these are music fans. And just by being a concert on there, you're getting in front of other music fans. I need to know what is your, because I know, you know I lived in New York City for three years. I know how crazy that place can be. Give us your funniest or craziest busking story. One day, um, this man, it was at 42nd Street on the 123 Uptown line, and he, like, was getting on the train, but as he got on the train and was passing me by, he sort of copped a seal. Oh, and no. Not sort of. He did. And I was in, like, total shock, and everyone, you know, there must have been, like, 20 people that were standing there waiting for the Express and watching me. And we all were just like, I like never stopped singing a song, but I stopped my song and I was just like, what just happened? And I, I'd seen who it was sort of, you know, and so I jumped on the train with him. Oh my God, you, you, you followed him? I got on the train and I'm halfway on the train, halfway off with my guitar and the conductor's looking at me and he, the dude's like sitting down you know, in prime real estate seat, but I'm sure he wished he had gone farther in. He was sitting right next to the door. And so and the train's passed pretty much. It's, you know, everyone's pretty much seating, but sitting, but it's, everyone can hear me and I'm just screaming at him. Why'd you grab my ass? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you don't ever touch the line? You know, you never, I'm just like telling him how it is. And then he's not saying anything. And I just kept asking him, why did you do it? Why did you do it? And Finally, I just punched him as hard as I could. In the oh my arm. god! <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny because everyone on the platform was like standing up for me, and they were like, "We'll watch your stuff. Don't let him get away with it. Like, <laughs> get, get him, whatever." And I just punched him and got off. And like, I like waved to the conductor, like everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what he thought was going on because he was two cars down, you know. Um, Oh but I got off, off the train and people were like rooting for me and bought my CD because I was standing <laughs> up for myself. And I was like, well, I know it was pretty, it was a New York moment. I'm like, I wish you'd buy it because you like the music, but hey, I'll take what I can get, I guess. All right, Natalie, I want to ask you a little bit about crowdfunding now. You've had a couple very successful crowdfunding campaigns, including one that you did recently where you were able to raise over $16,000 for your latest album that you have coming out. Um, I would love for you to give our listeners some specific tips on how they can have some great and successful crowdfunding campaigns. Sure. I think the first thing to do is to really be real realistic about um the and you want to be really generous with what you're offering your um, fans that are funding it, but sometimes those rewards can come back to bite you. <laughs> and that was How my, so? that was my biggest issue. Well, there's there's a lot um, on the back end. There's a lot of things to put together and to you want to be realistic as far as how much money they're going to cost you. You know, like sometimes for a fifty dollar reward, I know I'm I can or on the side of too generous sometimes um, and realize like, oh, this is actually going to cost me, you know, $15, $20 just to make this $50 reward, for example. And then is that really, or, or is that really fair to you as an artist? Because it's not just the money, it's your time. It's, um, it's all, all of it comes together. So you want to really think through, um, and spend the time crafting what your rewards are going to be and have them be personal and special, but be conscious of, you know, these are things that are going to take you away from when your project is at its most needy time. Like for my new record, like I'm um, going to need to be focusing on getting the record out there, not getting the rewards out so, there. So what so rewards would you I, say were the best ones for you that really worked out well for you in terms of your time, money? I mean, 
always sign CDs. I mean, it's almost treating it like a little bit of a pre-sale, but sign CDs, and that's usually, I think the average price point that people like to kickstart is around $50 for most artists. So you want to really think through your those especially and come up with stuff that is special and, um, you know, CDs or sign CDs are a special one. Phone calls are cool. Um, I had a really hard time. I think there was, on my first Kickstarter, a $17 pledge. Um, and I, I just got a little too creative and crazy. And even before Kickstarter, I did a campaign for Street Lamp where I raised only about 1000 or $1,200, and it wasn't transparent, but I had all these really complicated, like, the simpler, the better. I mean, it's just there's certain things where people are going to love you know, I had signed lyrics on handmade pressed paper. And what I realized was like, it takes me forever to make this paper and I enjoy it. But when I'm doing it and my mindset is not in the spirit of, you know, being artsy and enjoying to be sort of at home and crafty and whatever, then it's totally work. And I'm like, Oh, this is like annoying to make the pulp for the paper and make the paper <laughs> and write on it. And, blah, blah, blah. and so you could just have to, I would just imagine yourself, like, doing your thing. Um, I think that, for me, I was going to say, the $17 award was me calling someone on their birthday. But what ended up happening with that is I think there were two birthdays that I, like, totally forgot. Then there was a time where recently, like, I was in Europe for one of the ones that I forgot, and I called him, like, from freaking Copenhagen to, like, get it done. (laughs) It's like... And so you don't realize, like, those sort of timely things um, can come – that didn't work for me. Like, it kind of came back, and it wasn't – the stress that it caused was not worth the financial <laughs> reward of it. So uh, that was that was a no-good one. So the phone call um, on your birthday can come back to burn you because you don't know what you're going to be doing June 17th of next year, and it could just yeah, be a mess. Yeah, it's on their time frame. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. I called people on the way to shows, uh, during soundtracks, like that was, that was no good. Um, and then I've also had people that I'm like, you know, calling them from my cell phone. Like I'm not blocking my number. I don't think, I don't remember, but you know, then you want to talk forever. Cause I don't know. And it's great, but it's, you got to really value your time as a DIY artist. Um, so I don't know. That one was difficult. But again, like T-shirts, CDs, physical products that you can make, but however you can make them limited. Like I've really loved silk screening lately, and I've silk screened my own tote bags. It's something that that, um, I find I'm definitely going to do it again, like making very personalized limited edition stuff. Um, And it's not... I don't find it really time-consuming. There was a little bit of a learning curve, and I, I rent a space at um, a place in L.A. Um, so they have all the equipment, and I just go there, and I can make a screen, and, like, within two hours, have a bunch of stuff, <laughs> a bunch that, of new merch. That's smart. Um, so mass production, you yeah. know, silk screening, yes. Phone call on your birthday, not so much. Yeah, and <laughs> but it isn't, you know, it isn't even that mass. You know, but yeah, you want to save those really personal things for like the $300 supporters. And, and who knows, like I, on this last campaign, I think I had two, I think I put together three options for people to come to the studio with me. And I was shocked that nobody did it. Um, it was, I had people in mind that I thought were like creative and, and had the money to do something like that and were interested in it. And think they were scared (laughs) but you just never know like most people are going to do the $50 reward and um and so you want to make it really valuable and and cool and but also be conscious of where your energy is going on all those reward levels I would love right now to be able to share with the listeners some of uh your great music uh, because I think people after listening to you and hearing your story and 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 hearing about some of the things you've achieved they want to be able to put a song to uh to this to this biography that they've been enjoying so we're going to play one of your songs right now on the show uh this is off of uh your latest release live in London 
So this is a uh, live mm-hmm. performance of the song The Answer. Awesome. So we're going to go ahead and play this for you right now on the Break the Business podcast. Life made me some promises it never meant to keep. Set me up to break me down in places where I'm Held me up against each day Hope on the soles of my feet But life made me some promises It never meant to keep Love took my heart before It wandered off to find Something pretty than what it left behind It didn't mean to break me That's just its design Love took my heart before It up and left me blind And I'll never know Just how strong my soul had grown just how wild my old dreams had become Till I gave them all away And forgot who I was yesterday No longer held to the place I'm from The answers come than the questions you seek If you're giving when it's hard When life has got to beat Maybe what's important ain't the truth Or the lie But to hold up your words And look on in the to know yourself through and through So on the day you die Your love becomes an answer We can only by Your love becomes an answer We can only by Your love becomes That was outstanding, Natalie. That was such a joy to listen Thank to. Thank you. Um, congratulations. So uh, congratulations on that uh, terrific live album. I've listened to the whole thing and I've, I've, I enjoyed it very much. It's a, it's amazing what you were able to do with just your voice, um, you know, in that kind of stripped down setting and just great, great song, great song. Uh, well done. And I, I think um, I, I can speak for everyone when I say we're definitely looking forward to the next uh, album. Um, where can people find you in the in the internet world on social media if they want to get to know you more? Um, well, I'm always bopping around on social media. I love Instagram and Twitter the most these days, but I'm on Facebook and YouTube. I put out a lot of um, Music Monday videos, both covers and original songs. And then my own website's kind of a hub for everything. It's nataliegelman.com. Um, and that song actually is one of it's on a live in london cd and all of my live cds are free i give them away um what i do is every year i release one on my birthday so oh cool um that's the current free one yeah um and there's a bunch of good songs in there that are from from the last record to um a bunch that are going to be on a new cd it's kind of a cool cool thing absolutely yeah. thank, thank you so much for being on with us natalie and please uh don't be a stranger we'd love to have you on again real soon 
Thanks so much, Brian. It's great. I'm happy to share some some of my experiences with everyone. Um, And they were great experiences at that. Thanks very much, Natalie. And we will be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Hi, Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Thank you to Natalie Gelman for a great interview. You can find out more about her music at nataliegelman.com. And now it's time for the D Block. <laughs> well, great segue. It's um, what we've all been waiting for, right? I, I think so, yes. And actually, I want to start this off with um, due to recent uh, current events in the news and also recent current events in your life. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ryan. Happy birthday to you. I think this is the right sound effect. Wait. Wait. Sorry, that wasn't it. Here it is. Nope. Yeah, there it is. Yay. It's only been a month. (laughs) (laughs) You know what it is? I'll let the podcast listeners peek behind the curtain here. We actually use our sound effects with a little mini piano keyboard. And so I label the keys to know like what sound effects is what. The problem is some of the keys are black keys. And so I can write little dry erase markings on the white keys to say what that sound effect is, but I can't do it with the black keys. So the is a black key. And so I can't mark it so easily. I'm just making excuses, aren't I? Yeah. But uh, it's my birthday. So we should probably say the reason why you were able to sing that song without any fear Yes, without any threat of retribution. A few weeks ago, you know, we, the door would have been busted down by uh, paramilitary forces yeah. armed with uh, MP5s. We'd and, be in Guantanamo. Oh, yeah. But now no more because... Oh, you well, because... Oh, I, thought, I thought you want to talk about this. No, the, uh, a judge has ruled in, in this copyright case that the copyright holders of Happy Birthday don't have a valid copyright. That's right. Happy Birthday is now officially... In the public domain. Finally. Finally. And I think that came as a shock to most people who had no idea that Happy Birthday was still a valid copyright. Right. Our, our long national nightmare is over <laughs> having to listen to these horrible songs at restaurants with every variation of birthday and happy except Happy Birthday to you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um Yes, Happy Birthday was still a valid copyright, which means anytime you heard Happy Birthday sung on television or in a restaurant or anything like that, the estate of Patty and Mildred Taylor were getting royalties for it. But recently, because of some legal stuff and how long the copyright's been around, a judge has ruled that Happy Birthday is in the public domain, meaning anybody can sing it. Um, I would advise being careful because it could be appealed and theoretically it come, could come back out of the public domain and back into regular copyright again, but I think we're probably pretty safe. Which means that technically, if that happens, we have to get rid of this. Yes, we'll have to edit this out. And now no one will be listening to this. That's right. So right now, this could be in a vacuum of nothingness. This is, could be like in podcast limbo, in which we can say anything and nothing matters. <clears throat> so we I, should just start swearing right now? I hate you so much. <laughs> I've always hated you. You know what's funny... About this case, um, the the lawyers for the losing side, the pro, nobody's allowed to sing happy birthday to anybody's side without paying us money. Right. What they were saying is like, look, I don't know why everybody thinks this is a big deal. We weren't preventing people from singing happy birthday to each other. We were just saying if you want to commercialize it, you should pay us a royalty. As if by having a <laughs> copyright, they were somehow not allowed, they were somehow able to prohibit people from singing the song to each other in a private setting, which is not what copyrights do. Right, yeah, like they're going to bust in on little Natalie's three-year-old yeah. birthday party and, like, punch grandma on the face. Like, bust up the cake with a baseball bat. Yeah, with a cease and desist order here. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, and perhaps this is just sort of articulates a greater principle that copyrights are just too damn long in this country. The fact that a song like Happy Birthday could have been off-limits until 2015 is kind of insane. But 
Uh, we're happy to have you in the public domain. Happy birthday. Although I will say the guy that got that copyright back, this, this goes back to what, like the late 1800s? Yeah, this is, I mean, something like early 19s, something like that, yeah. We got to hire that lawyer. That's a good lawyer. <laughs> that, that guy's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now, now that we have properly celebrated, thank you for the birthday wish, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. I'm now 30. Ugh, terrible. <laughs> um, you're so old. <laughs> I'm 29. Yeah, you're still you're still uh, in your 20s. Yeah, I'm, I'm, young and, I'm middle aged. Yeah, I'm young and spry. <laughs> and so now we want to get to uh, the game show. Um, whenever we have you here, we love when we can have the opportunity to play the before and after game show. And now, last time we did this game show two weeks ago, mm-hmm. you still didn't have a title. It was still Dave's as yet untitled game show, and you said you were working on it. You had yes. your team of writers coming up with a name and. I figure now that you've had two weeks, because you had your week of vacation, you certainly have a title now. So let me play the imaging and see if we have a title for your game show. Let's go. Now it's time for Dave's as-yet-untitled game show here on the Break the Business podcast. Here's Dave. Thanks, Dave. Dave! That was a lot of Dave's in a row. (laughs) Dave, where's the title? You had two weeks! Remember how I told you that I had like a group of three writers? You did. Now? You said you had three. You had a team of writers, two guys and a girl working on the title. Right. You also remember how I went away for a week. Yeah. And the studio has essentially been sort of closed up. That's true. I had it locked up. Yeah. Okay. I forgot about them. Oh, no. Um, so they're dead. <laughs> um, so, so we're, we're, we're still right now. We're status quo. Which you know it's, it's it's a pretty good quo. I think this this status quo is a pretty good quo. This you're saying what you have now the non-existent title, which you've now had what almost a month to put together, still nothing, and now we have three dead writers. Yes, have um, you informed their families? I, there's so many problems with this. We hire writers that don't have families. It's quite obvious. Um, <laughs> we're like special forces in the military. Um, <laughs> But don't worry, I was out in L.A. I met some up-and-coming writers. Some more writers. Some more writers willing to work for Peanuts. Literally. And it's not even what you think. It's for Peanuts comics. (laughs) They just want... I'm paying them in the strips of Charles Schultz artwork and (laughs) storyline. Um... So yeah, well, we've got we got another team now. This time they will probably be properly fed and you know sustained with you know food and nutrients. Um, so we think that next week will be good. So you are optimistic that next week you're going to have a title for Dave's as yet untitled game show. Yes. All right. Tell everybody how this game works if you're listening for the first time. Okay. So essentially, we have a before and after style game where I'm going to give Ryan uh, three clues, th- or three questions he's got to get here. So far, he's been unsuccessful at every time playing this. I think you've only gotten one or two right answers. Out of I believe total. we've played two games. We've done six questions. I've gotten one of the oh, six right. right. Yes, you've got one out of six right. You are awful. Terrible. Maybe I can win this week, though. I um, think so, because I'm going to be honest. I feel like I've dumbed these down. Oh, you're sinking. You, you are. You're sinking. You're lowering your expectations, lowering the bar. I feel like it's not a game if there's no chance of you winning. Even even though again, you 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 literally stumbled onto almost the exact correct answer a few times and just for whatever reason walk on your merry way right past it into the oblivion of wrongness. The oblivion of wrongness. Yes. That's beautiful. That's poetic. Oh yeah. I think that that, that will be your new business card. I want to make that for you. That'll and be you know, that'll be a belated birthday present. Ryan Carella, Oblivion of Wrongness. The Oblivion of Wrongness yes. podcast. And so when I do enter the Oblivion of Wrongness and get one wrong, you'll hear this sound effect. Wrong. Um, and that's how you know that I'm wrong. Yes. Get used to it. <laughs> Honestly, do you think if you asked the listeners, would you think they would do you think they get more joy when I get one right or when I get one wrong? Ooh, I don't know, because it is funny. I think they like to see me fail. Yeah, and obviously they're hearing you squirm. I get, to, I get to see and hear you squirm. So you get the best treat of them all. Yes. But yeah, I think you're right. I think people like to see me fall apart on this. But so I'm saying, feeling good this week. I've stretched okay. out. I've I'm, my, my muscles, my mind muscles are good. My mind is clear. Let's do this. All I right. got this. All right, you limbered up. All right, let's go. All right, so... We got so I should get two out of three right to win. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we got uh, movies this week. Movies? Okay. okay all movies. Movies. All right. Got it. Okay. First one. Play the piccolo for this football player with Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear. Once again, 
Play the piccolo for this football player with Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear. Okay, play this piccolo for a football player, Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear. I, and there's this is only a two-parter, right? Two-parter and extraordinarily easy. Okay, you say that, and yet here I am stumbling. Well, I have the answer right here. <laughs> that makes it easier for you. <laughs> Can I get a look at the paper? Because then we'll no. be on a level playing field. No. Okay. Um... Okay, so I see, I, I hear Piccolo, Football, Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear. Let me work backwards. I don't know why I do this. I should go front to back. I always go back to front. Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear. I think, I mean, the first thing I think of with Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear is Splash Mountain um, at Disney World because uh, they're characters in that ride. Um, but I know you're not talking about a ride because it's the movies. And so it's whatever movie that damn rabbit is based on, which is, oh God, it's a really old Disney movie. By the way, way to have topical movies here. You know, <laughs> nothing but nothing but the most current. There's been 500 Disney movies that have come out since the stupid Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear movie that I can't remember the name of. Oh God, it was so racist. It was like a racist movie, right? It was a the the name of the wasn't it like a racist Disney movie? You just said you were. What? You just said you were racist. Why did you say that? Anyway. No, no, I didn't mean, no, the movie. The movie is racist. Yeah. It was a racist movie with a Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear. It was of its time. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll say, yeah. It, it was of its time. Um. Oh, my God. Okay, yes. It was, come on. Song of the South. Song of the South was the name of the movie. Okay. With Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear. So that's the second half. The first half, Piccolo. Give me the first half again. I think I got it. I think I'm getting there. I think I'm getting there. Play the Piccolo for this football player. Piccolo, Brian. Oh, Brian Piccolo. Brian Piccolo. And the movie was... Oh, I got it. The answer... It, the movie was Brian's Song. And so the full answer is Brian's Song of the South. That took so long. Yes, you're right. <laughs> yes! <laughs> wait, I did, not, I did not authorize that correct game show sound. I don't get... Wait, I can't play a sound effect when I'm right? Well, we don't have one because I, so far it really hasn't been an issue. Well, can it be... Uh, I'll, we'll do one some other time. It's my birthday. Okay, fine. Oh. All right. I'll, all right. I'll allow it. I got one right. Brian Song of the South. Yes, I thought you were going to give yourself an applause or anything. Oh. The studio audience was very silent. There we go. Very respectful. Wow. Okay. Yes, Brian Song of the South. You got one right. He's on the board, folks. I feel good because I got the first one right, which means, you know, I'm starting off strong. I only need to get one of the next two right to win the game. I'm feeling good. Um, oh, I'm in a good mood. All right, let's do it. Number two. All right. N another movie. All right. Clarence. Clarence. Let's watch this hilarious spoof on religion made by these swell fellows from England. <laughs> so staying with your... Before I even dive into the <laughs> figuring this out, staying with your topical movies, <laughs> you give me a Jimmy Stewart impression. That was Jimmy Stewart, right? Th th yeah. 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 I don't know. Um, you understand, Dave, most of our listeners, they are young, hip, millennial artists. They're entertainers. You know, we're, we're trying to get artists interested in the 21st century entertainment industry, which means most of our listeners are going to be young. And you come busting in here with Song of the South, <laughs> Brian's Song, and a Jimmy Stewart impression. I think... In order to move forward, you got to go with the past, man. You got to know where you're coming from, all right? Listeners out there, if any of you have ever... I want you to email this show, breakthebusiness at gmail.com, and just answer me. Have you ever heard of Jimmy Stewart? And don't Google him before answering. I want an honest well, answer. Come on, they've heard of Jimmy Stewart. What do you mean they've heard of Jimmy Stewart? Like, be, what's the last Jimmy Stewart movie? Has Jimmy Stewart... I mean, I don't know when he died, but has Jimmy Stewart made a movie in the last five decades? Uh, okay, uh, yeah, I was going to say, he is dead, um... <laughs> that's what i'm saying so like but, he, but he's been dead for a long time he hasn't made a movie in a long time and you're busting out with it first of all you're 29 years old you shouldn't be able to do a jimmy stewart impression i'm 30 i shouldn't be able to do a jimmy stewart impression the clock has been ticking on this sorry answer, sorry okay okay sorry i'm done i'm done yelling at you can i get the clue again okay clarence clarence let's watch this hilarious spoof on religion made by these swell fellas from england okay so clarence clarence um that's i want to live again I love we're just both we're just gonna do dueling Jimmy Stewart's. Um that movie that is well. It's a wonderful life. That's the first half. That's where he said, Clarence, I want to live again. And this hilarious spoof on religion. What was the last part? Made by these swell fellows from England. <laughs> I love that the whole thing was um 
You know, you did the whole clue as Jimmy Stewart. That was delightful. Swell Fellas from England. Okay. I don't know, like, British stuff that well. I'm going to say, though, okay, this is a shot in the dark. I'm assuming that, you know, boys from England. Speaking of topical references, a shot in the dark, a great Peter Sellers movie from the 1960s. Oh, for God's sake, Dave. (laughs) Walked into that one. Go ahead. Are any of the movies that you're going to be bringing up throughout this game, have any been made in the last 20 years? <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's an interesting question. I'm guessing no. Okay. Well, all you think is have to look this up. All right. Okay. But I think I got it because it's two, two boys from England. I'm just going to, this is like a, like a Monty Python. I'm thinking like boys from England. And so I'm going to say the answer. The first part is it's a wonderful life. The second part is life of Brian. It's a wonderful life of Brian. Where's the, uh, the the correct sound? It's right here. I got my finger on it. Yeah, go ahead, press it. Yes, I got two of them. He's got two, folks. I win. It's amazing. I, I mean, you win. You just there's still another one. Oh, I or, do you want to quit? No, I want. I'll see if I can go for the perfect score here. Do you want to do double or nothing? Okay, so what what you're putting in front of me now, Dave, is you're saying I've won the game, but you're giving me the op because I have to get two out of three. I've already gotten the first two right. Which, by the way. Completely unforeseen. This has never happened before on this show. Aha, yes. Something was made within the last 20 years. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> but what you're offering me is some kind of thing where I can, if I get the third one right, there's some like perfect score, something that I can go for. But if I get it wrong, like... I arbitrarily decide you lose. So what, but what, what do I gain if I win? Like the joy of knowing that I got a perfect score? At least you wouldn't be a chicken. Ooh, oh, oh, oh. Like fly. <laughs> Nobody calls me a chicken. Is that what he said in that movie? I can't remember. I think so, yeah. By the way, I think, uh, in, what, what was it, October 14th or whatever it is, 2015? That's when he went uh, to the future? That's coming up? Is it when it's coming up? Because see, I've seen memes on the internet for, like, this is when the future happens, and I've seen, like, the memes happening for, like, the last five years now. Because well, it's, it's finally now happening. Okay, so this is the actual one. The future is finally happening. Before the future was not happening. Now the future is happening. Good. Okay. All right. You know what? Let's. I'm not a chicken. I'm going for the perfect score. And if I get it wrong, we'll say I lose. But I, I, I'm feeling good. Okay. I'm on a hot streak, baby. All right. Team up with Snake Plissken to solve crimes with Kevin Spacey and Russell Crowe. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've you found my trap. Ran over my head. <laughs> Let. Uh, oh, 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 crap. Let me hear it again. Team no. up with team up with Snake Plissken to solve crimes with Kevin Spacey and Russell Crowe. <laughs> Snake Plissken, Kevin Spacey and Russell Crowe. Yes, Kevin Spacey and Russell. Why can't I think of a movie with Kevin Spacey and Russell Crowe? All right, let's let's work back to. Oh man, I had. Oh, I'm never gonna get this one right. By the way, yeah, both these movies within the last 20 years. Oh, okay. So your theory is gone. So not all of your references are fossilized. This one is, uh, now your references are only recently dead, like your you know writers that you've sacrificed to come up with the title for this game show that still hasn't happened yet. We still need to get one of our guys to kind of clear out the room. It does smell a little funny in here. Okay, uh, Snake Plissken. Yeah, I don't know who Snake Plissken is. We're going to go to the second part. Russell Crowe and Kevin Spacey. Were they in... Were they in Seven? Were they in... Was that... No, that was like Kevin Spacey and Brad Pitt? Oh, come on. No, like Morgan Freeman or something? I Wait, Kevin Spacey... Oh, man. <laughs> K-Pax. <laughs> it was Kevin Spacey, right? <laughs> uh, K-Pax. Yeah. Everyone loves K-Pax. Yeah, I don't think anybody loves K-Pax. Francis Underwood does. <laughs> That's true, Francis. Well, you know what it is? I used to really love Kevin Spacey, and then he was out of the limelight for a while. I was like, used to, great. Now we can't get him on the show. Well, and then he was out of the limelight, and then he did House of Cards, and I fell in love with him all over again. But I've gotten so into House of Cards that I've completely forgotten about all the movies he's done in the past. And like, I'm, he's just all Frank Underwood to me now. Snake... Like, the only thing I can think of for Snake is, like, wasn't the character from Metal Gear Solid named Snake? But I don't think that's, because that wasn't a movie, and you said these were all movies. Snake Plissken. Um, 
Yeah, I'm sorry, Dave. I, I don't know. I the guess. Uh, I guess uh, this hint would probably also make you upset if I tell you. Oh, think of Lee Van Cleef. Who the hell is Lee Van Cleef? Yeah, never mind. That was a terrible clue. You know, I, I give up. I don't know. I'm sorry. All right. Wrong. Oh, I love that sound. Play it again. Play it again, Sam. Wrong. Uh, Play it again, Sam. Another ridiculously old yes. movie reference. Team up with Snake Plissken to solve crimes with Kevin Spacey and Russell Crowe. Escape from L.A. Confidential. Oh, God, that's right. L.A. Confidential and Snake Plissken. Oh, was Escape from L.A. That was a good one. I can't believe I got that one. Wrong. So because you went double or nothing, you lose. lose. Let, let this be a lesson to you, folks. Pride goeth before the fall. Hubris is never a good thing. You know, bow out while you still can. Don't be like Ryan here. Don't be a blubbering mess of uh, goo and tears on the floor right now, which is what you are. Goo and tears. Yes. But you, oh, goo oh. tears, if you yes. will. Yes. Goo tears. Wrong. Great show. Yeah, good stuff, man. All right. We will see you guys next week. Thank you very much for coming by, Dave. Oh, of course. My um, pleasure. You know, uh, glad to have you back from vacation. Glad to have you back in the studio where you belong. Yes. And we're going to be back next week. We will see you next week. Thank you all for listening to the Break the Business Podcast. Mm-hmm.